the Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, the Songhees and Esquimalt First Nations. It's also known as Victoria, BC, Canada. Friends, the big news for me this year is that my forthcoming cookbook, The Spirited Kitchen, Recipes and Rituals for the Wheel of the Year, will be in stores on October 18th, 2022. My publisher, W.W. Norton, has published some really illustrious books, including the Norton Anthology of English Literature. I don't know if anybody else had to get the Norton Anthology in high school or like uh, first year university, but I did. So to think about being published by them. And also recently they published um, the selected works of Audre Lorde, edited with an introduction by Roxanne Gay. So To say I'm incredibly honored and proud to be published by W.W. Norton is an understatement. Also, little known fact, Norton is an employee-owned company, and you know I love that spirit of socialism, which also, it made me so happy that they didn't cut out my mentions of socialism and like the Zapatistas and Black Panthers uh, and those parts of my book. (laughs) So very exciting to be notified when you can pre-order the book sign up for my newsletter on my website, carmenspaniola.com. 2022, an auspicious year in terms of number. It marks eight years also of the Numinous podcast, and lots has changed over that time. But you know what hasn't changed? My intro. That is the mellifluous voice of my husband, Ruben Anderson. And that intro and, and those sound mixing abilities are are what I made in 2014 on GarageBand 5. And I am never going to change that intro. I find it comforting. I know that these days people have super sparkly, highly produced music on their podcast and intros and mid-roll ads and all that stuff. And you know what? I've tried like mid-roll ads. That stuff just doesn't really interest me. I want really cool content. And that said, I, I... I want to set the record straight. One of my pet peeves is when radio stations and public broadcasters call their radio on demand a podcast. Podcasts are made in bedroom closets and literal echo chamber garages on GarageBand, not professional recording studios. That is not a podcast. That is radio on demand. Stop trying to be indie and cool. I I often actually have people say like, oh, I describe your podcast to my friend. It's, It's like on being. And and I, like On Being is, is a wonderful show, but it is not a podcast. Please don't compare <laughs> me to Krista Tippett. On Being is excellent. It's not a podcast. It's a production company with a 4,000 square foot studio. Literally, their facility is four times the size of my entire house. And I happen to look it up. They received over $6.5 million in funding in 2020. So love the show. Totally resent that large production companies and like public broadcasters use the term podcast. Anyway, I digress. I am very proud to be in my eighth year of podcasting and I'm like super happy to have you here. But you know what else I find comforting? It's the topic of this niche episode 
of the Numinous Podcast. And after 160 episodes in eight years, I feel like it's okay for me to do these like niche episodes that five people are going to like. It's kind of a new thing. It started with Dave Chan's amazing pumpkin growing episode, which was enjoyed by me and like three of my true fans and a handful of hardcore competitive giant pumpkin growers, plus Dave Chan and his wife. Um, You know, I shouldn't minimize it because that's sort of untrue. Actually, the giant pumpkin episode, I just looked today. It has over like 1,100 downloads in like three months. So that's a lot of happy pumpkin people, I have to say. Anyway, I'm going to make some more people happy today because this niche episode, think of like monster truck voice right now. Niche, niche, niche episode, episode, episode. This is the Bruce Springsteen niche episode that at least a handful of you have been waiting for. The episode where I explain the appeal of Bruce Springsteen as told through select Springsteen tracks arranged in order of progressive maturity of narrative voice. I've been thinking about this episode since I started my podcast, and I actually had dialogue with my like grade 10 English teacher in 2015 saying, you know what I think would be a really good um, English lit exercise for students is to take their favorite artist and create the hero's journey out of their songs. And like, that's because I've been doing it with Bruce Springsteen my whole life. Anyway, the journey takes us from frustrated youth in a small town to emerging adult getting into trouble and conflict, an adult desire for love and reconciliation with the past, then deepening radicalization as the hardships of life are revealed to be so often caused by oppressive systems of class and hierarchy. And then finally, a swell of hope and resilience as a more mature voice of elderhood emerges. It features 15 of his 60, 60 plus albums. 60, 60, the guy's 70, he has 60, 60 albums. 15 of those albums are in this playlist. So I've created this playlist in Tidal, um, but you only get one week free on Tidal. I just, I couldn't, yeah, my show is on Spotify. I just couldn't bring myself to, I didn't want to send. Anyway, I'm going to add a list of each track and the specific album it appears on because the specific recording matters. Of course, there are many recordings of different songs of his and it's the versions that make a big difference for me. This is a musician who is known for tireless touring. He's played over 2,600 concerts since he signed with Columbia Records in 1972. But of course, he had a career before that. Bruce Springsteen has been the frontman of a rock and roll band since his first gig as a 17-year-old band. And his band was called The Castiles, started in 1965. He's never had any other job since. For folks who are new to Springsteen and like think he's like the voice of the working man, he's never had a working man job. Not a day. But his dad did. His dad had lots of jobs. It was hard for his dad to keep jobs. So partially that was because of declining industrial jobs around New Jersey that really intensified in the mid-60s. But it's also because Bruce's dad was an alcoholic with an undiagnosed uh, mood disorder of depression and uh, schizophrenia. And that became a defining feature of Bruce's life and his music, wrestling with intergenerational demons and the mirroring of one's family life in the larger decline of America as a country and an idea at the end of the 20th century. And I mean, all I can say is I relate to that upbringing um, and parental strife. But you might be wondering why Bruce Springsteen? Like if you've ever done one of my attachment courses, either Attachment for Parents or my other one online, um, 
it's called Secure, The Magical Art and Subtle Science of Attachment, then you've heard me invoke Bruce Springsteen as what we call a competent protector. The notion of a competent protector is one that I learned from my teacher, Diane Poole Heller, when I did my somatic attachment repatterning training. So it's kind of like a cross between attachment therapy and somatic experiencing. Anyway, the idea is that a competent protector is someone who's both strong and nurturing. So they'll not only protect you, they'll put themselves between you and harm. They're not a bystander but they're also really sensitive. Like if, if you stumbled or made a mistake or embarrassed yourself or failed, they would be there by your side, consoling you, validating you, mirroring you, encouraging you, probably telling you that they'd done that too. And that is very much what the music of Bruce Springsteen has been for me. He's been quoted as saying there's two kinds of music, one to clean your house to and music to change your life to. And my friends, he makes both. If you listen to the lyrics, and this is key, my friends, it's the songwriting. He's a songwriter. If you listen to the lyrics, he is constantly telling you that you were born for more than someone's table scraps, be they economic or emotional. He's constantly saying that there's something better a little further on up the road, and that failure and alienation are part of the human condition and are survivable and that you're not alone. And he believes you can take just one more step. His songs are about shirking the yoke of family trauma. They're about escaping from dead-end paths and dead-end towns, and eventually they're about class and capitalism and inequity. Finally, they're about how much we need each other, how important love is, and about the joy of co-creation and dreaming together of brighter futures in spite of harsh realities. If you're a big time Bruce fan already, you can probably just listen to my list of songs I'm gonna share and like hear them in your head and know which lyrics I'm referencing when I describe the tone and texture of a track. But if you're new to the music and you're just sort of coming around to Springsteen as a, as a phenomenon, you may wanna listen to me describe a track and then listen to the song. So again, you can like be like a DJ and float between my editorial and Springsteen's performance by going to the show notes at numinouspodcast.com. Or if you're on title, you can look for um, me, Carmen Spaniola. You can also look for a playlist called uh, Bruce Springsteen's Soundtrack of a Life. So um, you'll need a credit card to set up an account, even like if it's gonna be free, if you wanna listen on Tidal. Um, but yeah, you have a few options here. You can go through your own music provider or even just YouTube looking for the exact recordings I've listed in the show notes at numinouspodcast.com. Um, so, okay, whatever you decide to do, here we go. Let's begin. On October 27th, 1975, the day before I was born into this world, Bruce Springsteen appeared on the cover of Time magazine, heralded as rock's new sensation. He was described as the new sound of rock and roll. But let's back up just slightly. Track one, it's called Growing Up, and it's from the album Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey, released in 1973. So we begin in 73 with his first major album. This album is probably why people felt he was kind of a juiced up, electrified Bob Dylan. And like, how would I describe it? Um, 
Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey is an extremely personal album. Growing Up is not the West, the most well-known song, or it's not, not the most successful track by far from this highly acclaimed, but commercially kind of soft debut album. The most well-known track from this album, again, by far, is the song Blinded by the Light. Again, it's a great example of why people compared him then to a more highly arranged Bob Dylan. The lyrics are numerous and kind of rambling, basically incoherent. It's kind of like he's got a joke and you're not in on it. In that way, it's kind of... I, I'm just going to say it. It's kind of adolescent. In fact, it's been said that he wrote the song Blinded by the Light using a rhyming dictionary. And I'd love to know if that's true. The song kind of sounds like it's true. I mean, I'm just I'm very glad he evolved beyond this style. In fact, I think this style was evolved. You might even say perfected just a few years later by Manfred Mann's Earth Band. They took the song Blinded by the Light to number one in 1977. Their classic arrangement of that song sort of sounds like if Bruce Springsteen and Liberace had a baby. And it's like perfect. It, it is the sound of 1977. It's exactly what that song wants to be. Like really elaborate and done to the 10th degree. Maybe Elton John could do this one really well too. I could totally imagine Elton John arranging the song, but Manfred Mann beat him to it. Speaking of songs that Bruce gave away to others to become massive hits, he also co-wrote Patti Smith's biggest hit, Because of the Night. Patti Smith, of course, is another New Jersey native. That amazing track was then also covered by Natalie Merchant and the 10,000 Maniacs in their MTV Unplugged album in 1993, the year I graduated high school. I listened to that album again and again and again. So two two-time massive hitmaker Springsteen with, with that song, not to mention a techno version of Because of the Night that was huge in Latin countries the year before 10,000 Maniacs did it. Also, Bruce wrote Light of Day, which was a huge commercial success for Joan Jett in 1987. And though I love giving props to his origins in Asbury Park, New Jersey, and that kind of like freewheeling joy of his music from that time, like I said, I, I'm an amateur, but it sounds kind of amateur to me. Immature, like to, it just sounds like something that, yeah, like a 20-something wrote. And of course, he was. He was like 23 or something at the time. So let's move to track two. Born to Run from the album Born to Run, 1975. Okay, so this is where we're going now. Springsteen put out two albums in, in 73. Both kind of meh. Like, okay, there's something there, but like... Now, this, this third album titled Born to Run is so cinematic, absolutely cinematic. It's not a concept album, but it kind of plays like one. This is the album that gets him on the cover of Time magazine at 25 years old. It is the album of an emergent adult. So in it, he's going for a bit of a like wall of sound aesthetic, very different from his first couple albums. But it's the start of his talent for catchy tunes and arena rock and stadium anthems that people want to sing along to. It's not just his own joke anymore. You want to listen on the open road and like play it too loud for the neighbors. Springsteen was famously annoyed by how much hype and marketing and promotion Columbia Records did for this album and for positioning him as the future of rock and roll. I mean, that's a lot of pressure for a 25-year-old, right? Especially, I suppose... 
if your dad is like kind of in competition with you or like you're trying to win his affection, not the media's. It's like you want to be a famous rock star, but like not in the way that draws too much attention, right? It draws the ire of your parent. So I imagine the affection of the masses is just no substitute for the affection of a parent, right? Not that the affection of the masses is a booby prize either, I suppose. Moving to track three, Thunder Road, but this version from Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band Live, 1975 to 85, the three volume box set. Again, I had it on tape, listened to it again and again. Now this, my friends, is a classic arena anthem that Springsteen in this version has pared down to a minimal piano arrangement. And honestly, just between you and me, I think he's got a bit of a cold in this performance too, but it sounds good on him. It's subtle, but like if you listen to that live album over and over like I did, like 40 tracks recorded over 10 years of live concerts, it, it kind of sounds like he's got a teeny bit of a cold and I think it really works. It's another track from the Born to Run album, but this live recording is from a concert in October of 75. And it's a peek into what Bruce is becoming, a true balladeer and a lyricist with excellent storytelling skills. With the music simplified and his voice carrying the narrative, it's just him and us and the story. And it's compelling and it sounds true and you really fall in love with the characters and the time and place. It's just super hopeful and really satisfying. It's a really refreshing counterpoint to the original recording, which is much more defiant, much more like you know, Born to Run sounds like it's supposed to be, right? Born to Run and Thunder Road as album tracks are the ones that I listen to when I'm like <laughs> busting out of town and um, yeah, by myself in a car with the windows down and the music up. Track four, The River from the self or the same titled album in 1980. Okay, so we're getting a bit of out of order with his actual studio album releases now, but I think this iconic track belongs here for a few reasons. This song is another masterful piece of storytelling because of its relatability. What family doesn't have a story of two kids who get knocked up and their life just totally detours, right? But what makes this song so powerful, aside from the timeless themes, is its haunting quality. Certainly the sound and the aching melancholy, but there's a line. There's so many lines in that song, but there's a line. My favorite Springsteen line of all time that just stays with you. True fans. Where are my Bruce fans at? You know the line. Is a dream a lie if it don't come true? Or is it something worse? What? Oh my God, Bruce, you're killing us. Shattered dreams, lies, something worse. Oh my God, it's too much to contemplate. Take us out on the chorus so I can go have a private little cry in the bathroom. It's so poignant. I love it. Track five, Working on the Highway, Born in the USA, 1984. Okay, we're skipping ahead here, but there's a, a quote I'm going to paraphrase attributed to, to Bruce, right? And it, it's that one about there's music to clean your house to and music to change your life to. This is the first kind. But I, I chose this track because... You know, Bruce was inspired to become a rock star by seeing Elvis Presley on The Ed Sullivan Show. He talks about this really beautifully in his Netflix special, Springsteen on Broadway. And some of his songs really do have that vintage rock feel. This one is almost like rockabilly. It's almost got like an early Jerry Lee Lewis bop to it. 
Notice once again, though, that his lyrics tell this super detailed and like pretty exciting storyline. It kind of sounds a little bit like, I don't know, um, like a, a dime store, you know, trash romance novel kind of thing. It has this exciting storyline that ends up with kind of a funny twist at the end. It's just like a perfect piece of fun homage to early rock and roll rebels who got caught up in scandal trying to get the girl. So you'll have your kitchen spick and span in three minutes flat with this song. Track six, Johnny 99, Bruce Springsteen and E Street Band Live, 75 to 85. This song is actually from his sixth studio album, Nebraska, which came out in 1982. It was a very new style of album for Bruce because he recorded all the songs himself without the E Street Band, just his voice, a guitar. And sometimes he recorded his own harmonies or an electric guitar, but he just like did it on like really basic equipment. It's, it's sort of like just him as a one man band. And the whole album is full of somber stories of down on their luck dudes. But with this version of the song from the live album, you can tell he's singing this character's story to a stadium full of people. And he, it sounds like he really cares. He cares so bad that this guy has not been respected or listened to and is being treated unfairly by an oppressive system. In this song, Johnny 99 is being given a death sentence for a crime of desperation. And you know, this is the song. This is the song of his entire playbook that I think is still the most irrelevant today. This is where people are at right now in society, just under the surface. We, we're about to crack. We're desperate. We can't keep scraping by like this with everything bearing down on us like this. Bruce is imploring us in this song. He's almost screaming. He's pleading for a break. Ugh. This, this performance of his entire catalog is just so fabulous. Okay, track seven, Badlands, from the album Darkness on the Edge of Town, 1978. Poor men want to be rich, rich man want to be king, but a king ain't satisfied till he rules everything. Okay, so I placed this track here because the voice of the narrator is maturing. There's some important perspective here for why Johnny 99 ended up where he did, and this song offers a different path, a different possible outcome. The chorus is a call to action for the common man to push back against his oppression. If you haven't seen Gurinder Chanda's 2019 film, Blinded by the Light, the coming-of-age story of Javed, a British-Pakistani uh, Muslim teenager whose life is changed after he discovers the music of Springsteen in the Thatcher-era England, I, I commend to you, my friend, Go rent it this weekend. It is such a heartwarming, uplifting story. It's based on a book by Sarfraz Manzoor, a British journalist and frequent contributor to The Guardian and the BBC. It's about how Springsteen's music influenced him growing up in England in the 80s. Anyway, there's a scene in the movie where Javid and his best friend Roops confront some bullies by quoting this song. And it's for fans, it's just like a chef's kiss moment <laughs> of like a time when like a Springsteen lyric is just so perfect for the moment. Anyway, this song is about class struggle and a critique of capitalism. And it has a quality of being sick and tired of this shit that makes it really good for like turning up loud again while you're like driving fast out of town. Track eight, 
Dancing in the Dark, born in the USA in 1984. More music to clean your house to! Or could it change your life too? Of course, we know it changed Courtney Cox's life since her career was launched when she was pulled up on stage in that famously hammy scene from the 1985 MTV Music Video Award winner for Best Stage Performance in Video. That, <laughs> that uh, yeah, was won by Dancing in the Dark and Courtney Cox's face became the face of like every woman who just would fantasize of being in front row um, at a Springsteen concert. And you would be forgiven for thinking I've only got this song in the list because Bruce is like just such a fox in this video. But actually, this is another song with an exceptionally thoughtful lyric for a pop hit. It deals with creative angst and alienation and a deep need for connection. It has real relevance in these pandemic times, almost 40 years later. 40 years, oh my God. Okay, track nine, I'm on fire. Born in the USA, 1984. Okay, this one is on here just because it's so fucking sexy. <laughs> if a song was a thirst trap, my friends. Oh my God. I can't even talk about this one publicly. I feel flustered. I have to take a sip of my drink here. <clears throat> okay, back to business here. Track 10, Human Touch from the self -ti same titled album, Human Touch, 1992. Okay, still super sexy. But again, now with more maturity. Now this is gonna be a controversial pick for my hardcore fans. And I'm just gonna say, I know you're, you're, you're yelling at me through your music player right now. People really hated these albums. So for folks who are new to Springsteen, just so you know, people hated these albums. Like they were panned when they came out in the early 90s. Maybe just because people were bitter because he dissolved the E Street band and like fans were mad. Maybe it's because there is like the synthy sound that felt too slick for his fan base and, and probably just like a little out of step with the emerging grunge scene. I don't know, but guess what? He sounds like an adult in love on this album and I like it. It's, this song is like a pragmatic petition to someone to love you. And it's a simple promise of a warm body to hold you when the world is cold. So like, fuck the haters, man. It's good. I like it. Track 11, another one you're going to hate. For, but no, you're probably going to love it because it's a great song. But hardcore fans are going to hate. Brilliant Disguise from Tunnel of Love 1987. Another reviled album because of its synth sounds and kind of bubblegum themes. I don't care. I really like this album and in particular this song. There's actually like half a dozen hits on this album I really like. It opens with this acoustic barn burner called Ain't Got You that has, again, that Jerry Lee Lewis rockabilly wildness to it that's just so energetic and fantastic. Anyway, this is the period where Bruce is figuring out that life isn't all about your dad and your hometown and who people said you were or could be. Life is about who loves you and who you love. Yes, it is the sound of a man going through a divorce and it is the sound of a man falling in love with his longtime bandmate, Patty Scialfa. And it's honestly, it's just like so beautiful to witness. It's really him growing up and realizing that there's more to life than being a rock star. He's learning to be a better man. Also, the song ends with one of my favorite lines again, God have mercy on the man who doubts what he's sure of. God, he 
he's so good at leaving you with like a chilling line that just unsettles you about like how your it shakes your confidence that you kind of know what's what in life, but super thoughtful and reflective. Track 12, My Hometown from the Born in the USA album 84, another song whose themes are as relevant today as they were in the 80s, sadly. It's about the sad decline of the American city and the demise of the dreams we had of a future that's brighter than the past. I mean, there's not much more to say about it. Just listen to the lyrics. It's a working man's blues song. It's about the effects of racial and economic inequity. It's just, it's, it's just a sad song, man. But what's extra beautiful about it is that it's written as an ode or like a story, uh, a connection point between a father and a young son. I imagine it was a very corrective experience to write a song that, I don't know, that just expressed so much tenderness and concern and parental care towards a child. Track 13, Born in the USA, from the Born in the USA album. Okay, I have to tell you, this song is probably my least favorite Springsteen song of all time. And in that way, I'm in step with the masses of Bruce Springsteen's hardcore fans. I, I, I don't hate it. It's just uh, that driving chord. The, the, the just, it's repetitive. I, anyway, I include it here, though, so we can set the record straight for folks who don't quite understand what this song is about. If, if this song is how you know Springsteen and you don't get the song, you don't get Springsteen. The sheer irony of this song ever being presented as a jingoistic pro-America anthem is just like overwhelming. It's like hard to endure for 40 years. It is literally the opposite of that. Born in the USA is an indictment of America's involvement in the Vietnam War and specifically the treatment of that war's veterans. That's what it's about. I don't need to say anything more about it than that. You don't even have to listen to it. Just read the lyrics. It's not a pro-America song. It's irony, my friends. It's irony. Okay, moving along. Track 14, a nice counterpoint to Born in the USA, maybe a little more understandable for folks. It's called Bring Em Home from the We Shall Overcome Seeger Sessions album of 2006. So here is his anti-war sentiment that has matured into this song in which he, he sounds, he kind of sounds like a lost member of the Traveling Wilburys. For as much as he didn't like being compared to Dylan, I mean, doesn't this sound like he should have been in the Traveling Wilburys with Dylan and Tom Petty and Roy Orbison and George Harrison? I bet he was like, jelly as hell when they came out with that album um he probably loved that album the traveling wilburys we shall overcome has kind of a similar feel as an album it's kind of like listening to a big huge jam session of truly amazing musicians and singers and they're all just having a really great night this is a smaller sounding track um but the harmonies really lift the message of this song um it includes some updates to, to Pete Seeger's really famous anti-Vietnam protest song by, by a similar name, um, but it's like updating it as a call to end the Iraq war. So there's like some really big sounding, fairly celebratory kind of gospel and revival sounding songs on this album. This one's just like a bit quieter and easier to miss, um, but go back and revisit it. It's a, it's a really beautiful anti-war song. 
Track 15, The Ghost of Tom Joad from the album, The Ghost of Tom Joad, 1995. So Springsteen had a solo, kind of mostly acoustic album with Nebraska in 82. And then the next time he releases something as like pure sounding and brave as that is this folk album in 95, The Ghost of Tom Joad. Tom Joad, of course, being the main character in John Steinbeck's book, The Grapes of Wrath, set in the Great Depression. This album was so committed to telling the stories of the poor and the unhoused and the downtrodden that it was criticized as being too depressing to really appreciate. It was deep and thoughtful as a piece of work, but it's, it, and you know, I, I kind of agree with some of this criticism, it is kind of like he's mumbling his way through it. And so sometimes the arrangements and the way he performs it make it a bit hard to follow the stories. So you've really got to read the lyrics to follow the plot. But what's awesome about that is it really does sound like the album of a man who doesn't give a shit whether it sells or not. You know, he cares about these stories. And it's like he's living them while he's singing them. He just loses himself in the performance of them. It's like there's dramatic Bruce and then there's theatrical Bruce so dramatic Bruce does impassioned thunder road at the piano piano in like a stadium you know but like theatrical Bruce does a one-man acoustic show for an album that probably only has a thousand true fans right I I, I respect him for it I, I like it this is a great song track 16 devils and dust from the album devils and dust 2005 so 10 years on down the road Bruce basically writes another Ghost of Tom Joad album, but this time it's more catchy and it's less lonely. So this is his third acoustic album now. And his folk here has more of a roots music kind of sound. It's probably his most critically acclaimed album and his only Billboard number one album without the E Street Band. Why do I love this song? Why do we love this song? Because once again, it's an anti-war song about disillusionment with the Iraq war, but it's written from the perspective of an active duty soldier doing his best in a morally compromising situation. There's no question Bruce is anti-war and has been since the beginning, but with this song, he's giving voice to people who start out thinking they're doing the right thing and and like end up just not knowing how to backtrack or find redemption. So it's complex, and I appreciate that complexity. Track 17, Shenandoah, from the We Shall Overcome album 2006. Okay, here we are, back in the Seeger sessions, which in many ways are the progression of Springsteen's solo acoustic and folk forays to kind of come full circle back to what he does best, big ensemble productions this time performing from the Great American Folk Song Book. Shenandoah is a traditional song from the 1800s that seems to have originated with like um, Canadian and American voyageurs, but eventually it spreads around the world as a sea shanty. And anyone who knows anything about my husband knows he's been part of a sea shanty song circle for over 25 years. So I have a bit of a soft spot for Bruce singing a sea shanty. <laughs> This version of Shenandoah is really, really beautiful, and it moves through you like a river. I, I really hope you enjoy it. It sounds like Bruce is making a pivot, turning back towards home. Track 18, Blood Brothers, from his Greatest Hits album, 1995. 
I believe this particular acoustic style version of this song was specially recorded for the Greatest Hits album. I think there's actually a more like rock style version on it on this kind of rare like five song EP by the same name, um, Blood Brothers. But I put this here because, well, it's one of Bruce's many, many ride or die songs. And, and because it was written after the E Street Band broke up, I always kind of think of it as his tribute to Clarence Clemens. They were such a beautiful and nourishing model of male friendship. There was so much charm and chemistry and magic between them. From their iconic photo shoot on the cover of the Born to Run album in 75, through hundreds, thousands, I guess, um, or at least over a thousand shows together, their friendship was something so beautiful to watch. There's a super sweet part in the E Street uh, version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town where Clarence is like ho-ho-hoing like Santa in such a big and over-the-top way that Bruce starts cracking up and can barely sing the song because he's laughing. And they're just like clearly enjoying themselves and each other so much. Oh, I'm, I'm tearing up because... After Clarence Clemens died in 2011, Bruce said that losing Clarence was like losing the rain. He was so elemental. Nowadays, Clarence's nephew, Jake Clemens, plays in his place when the E Street Band performs. Tracks 19, 20, and 21. Oh, Mary, Don't You Weep, Pay Me My Money Down, and We Shall Overcome. They're all from the album, We Shall Overcome 2006. I know I've included a lot of them, but it's because they are Bruce becoming victorious. There's some Zydeco swing sounds in there. There's some New Orleans gospel sounds. This album is like his version of Elvis Presley's gospel music albums. <laughs> he just really seems to, I don't know, just like be moved by something greater. At the end of these songs, instead of his lone voice kind of kicking and punching and dancing in the dark, you know, his voice out in front of the E Street Band, in this album, he's collectivized. His voice is part of a chorus, and the songs are about demanding better conditions and also just knowing you'll receive them if you work together. I, I know he and the E Street Band are a famous ensemble, but Really, his voice and his boss persona were always out in front. There was just never any question whose show this was. Whereas here in the Seeger sessions, he seems like really part of that large river of sound. He and his voice are enfolded in something larger than himself. And I find it as inspiring as he's ever been. Track 22, This Land is Your Land by Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band, live, 1975-85. This is a version he did live in 86. This is Bruce's version of patriotism. So lest anyone is still confused by that whole born in the USA thing, in 86, so two years later, he comes out with this song. And I just feel like it has to be, at least in part, his response to like how jingoistic fans became like appropriating Born in the USA for false purposes. This is Bruce taking Woody Guthrie's folk classic. You could, you could almost call it a folk spiritual. And he's letting everybody know that we all belong. 
It's a protest song against exploitation of the natural world. And in fact, in the original song, there were two more verses critical of America, one about poverty and one about private property. But anyway, Springsteen is a guy with conviction, so it makes sense that he's a Woody Guthrie fan. And it's nice to see him honor the elders of protest music in this way. Track 23, Reason to Believe, again from the live album. This song is actually, on most days, my favorite Springsteen song of all time. And this version specifically. So I'm going to put it out here now so everybody knows this is my funeral song. <laughs> this is, if you're going to play some song while people are like, I don't know, going up to the altar, doing some ritual or... I don't, I don't know what is going to happen, but this is the this is the song that kind of guides me and just like, well, it is what it is. And this is the time I've been born into. And the quality of my humanness depends on me, like really showing up and um, being present to the, the entire breadth and depth of, of beauty and horror of this life. It was originally released on the Nebraska album, but this live performance so moving and tender like with the crowd and then the backup musicians the music kind of like it, it sort of brings that slightly haunting or haunted feeling of the Nebraska album full circle in the story of a life so when we place this song here it's a ballad of resilience it feels like less about gritty disappointment now now it's more about gathering oneself and rising to meet a moment it's about marveling at people's ability to keep rising to meet the moment in spite of setback and adversity and heartbreak. It has a hopeful quality. This is Bruce teaching us to hope and telling us to look at all the people living and dying and making a go of it in this harsh world. You know, it's a cycle of life song. It's a taking the good with the bad song. It's an we're all going to be all right. We're all going to be okay song. Not so much maybe even because of the lyrics, but the feel of this version. It has a rising lift, and at the end, there's this pause that kind of just hangs there for an extra beat, like anything can shift in a moment. And he carries us out on harmonica in a way that feels like we just all keep shuffling down the road together. It's the cycle of life. It's going to be okay. Even if it's not okay, that's just life, and we'll just keep on keeping on. People just keep finding reasons to believe. Track 24, Better Days from the album Lucky Town, 1992. Yes, we are going back to hated albums. Why did people not like Springsteen in the 90s? I don't know. And maybe it was just such a formative time in my own life graduating high school that I just can't be critical of it. But I mean, I can. But I, anyway, we're starting to wind it up. And my penultimate pick, is again from this reviled album, Lucky Town. I can't quite place why hardcore fans diss this album so much. I mean, it's not that bad. Again, maybe some of the tracks just sound a tiny bit like New Country, which was like kind of a thing at the time. Remember CMT, Country Music Album? I don't know, is that still around? And it was like New Country and You. Anyway, maybe there's like steel guitar they don't love. I don't know. Guess what? This is probably the happiest, most personally victorious song Springsteen, Springsteen has ever written. And now, in 2022, after 47 years of albums, as many years as I've been alive, 
he deserves the kind of joy and relief that this song describes. Because you know what he's singing about? He's singing about how fucking depressed he was all those years and how he knows he shouldn't complain. But that actually, though, you're only as happy with your life as you are with yourself. You know, he's, he's singing about surviving his depression. He says, a life of leisure and a pirate's pre- treasure don't make much for tragedy. But it's a sad man, my friend, who's living in his own skin and can't stand the company. Oof, man. There's a story he tells, like maybe in his autobiography, I think. Um, But actually, I I might have read it in a feature interview before his book came out, actually. Or maybe he talks about it in the preamble of one of his live concerts. I don't know. Anyway, the story is he's sharing about how he developed insomnia. And he kept waking up in the middle of the night and leaving home and he would drive past the houses where he grew up and his family grew up and i can relate to this so hard i do the same every time i'll like drive past my grandma's house where i lived as a small child she hasn't lived there in like 20 years but anyway he asks his psychologist what is up with that like why is he compulsively waking up at 3 a.m driving to the childhood streets and like basically stalking these people and his psychologist said it's because something bad happened there and you're trying to go back and make it right so this song better days sounds like he has finally made peace with that past and is ready to let it go by the time he gets to better days he's figured some things out most importantly that life is about love and God, does he sound grateful for that? You know, it's a glorious, like letter rip kind of song that does feel like breaking free and saving your own life. What I hear in this song is the older, wiser man's response to Born to Run. Literally, this is where that guy ends up. He ends by saying, tonight this fool's halfway to heaven, just a mile out of hell. And I feel like I'm coming home. I'm happy for him. Track 25, Hello Sunshine from Western Stars. Okay, Uh, (laughs) here we find ourselves in, I'll be honest, it's Springsteen's rock and chair rock and roll, okay? This is like a mellow, uh, this is, you know, he's 72, which is not so old, but it's also not so young either, right? This is the sound of a man finally content with himself and his life, And he's easing into feeling safe and loved and just like happy. You know what he sounds like? He sounds secure. Like he's less burdened by his troubles and he's finally willing to just let a lightness come over himself. It's just, it's a nice way to end a life, you know? So I'm going to read now a passage from his autobiography called Born to Run. Uh, what year did this come out? I got it for Christmas in 2016. Wow, it's been out for a while. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I reread passages from this book pretty often. And whenever I'm feeling like funk, you know, I'm in a funk and I just want to like be in bed, I rewatch Springsteen on Broadway. So um, <laughs> this, is a, this is a passage that I love. It's from the end of the autobiography. And I think it's a good way to take us out. On a November evening during the writing of this book, I drove once again back to my hometown, back to my neighborhood. The streets were quiet. 
My corner church was silent and unchanged. Tonight there were no weddings and no funerals. I rolled slowly another 50 yards up my block to find my great towering copper beech tree. Gone. Cut to the street. My heart went blank and then settled. I looked again. It was gone, but still there. The very air and space above it was filled with the form, soul, and lifting presence of my old friend, its leaves and branches now outlined and shot through by evening stars and sky. A square of musty earth carved into the parking lot backtop, blacktop at the pavement's edge was all that remained. It still held small snakes of roots lightly submerged by dust and dirt. And there the arc of my tree, my life, lay plainly visible. My great tree's life, by county dictum or blade, could not be ended or erased. Its history, its magic, was too old and too strong. Like my father, my grandmothers, my Aunt Virginia, my two grandfathers, my father-in-law Joe, my Aunt Dora and Aunt Edda, Ray and Walter, Bart, Terry, Danny, Clarence, and Tony, my own family gone from these houses now filled by strangers. We remain. We remain in the air, the empty space, in the dusty roots and deep earth, in the echo and stories, the songs of the time and place we have inhabited. My clan, my blood, my place, my people. Well, thanks for listening, my friends. As I said, find the song set, including the link to my title playlist at numinouspodcast.com. I'm not affiliated with title in any way, but I mean, hey, if anyone would like to hook me up with sponsorship with them, please do contact me. I'd love a free account. Anyway. If you would like to check out my attachment courses or um, any of my other work, you want to connect over Bruce Springsteen, you check me out at CarmenSpaniola.com. That's where you'll find all the information about the Numinous Network and those courses. Just go to CarmenSpaniola.com at C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.